Before we get started, I wanted to wish a happy 13th birthday to Simon Reynolds. Simon and his family have been traveling from Ontario to BC and apparently listening to the ghost story guys along the way. Simon, as much as it freaks me out to know that a 13-year-old has heard some of the things I've said on this show, I'm really happy you're listening, even happier enjoying it, and I hope you enjoy your ghost tour. Happy birthday, my friend. Hold hands and close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brandon Storr. I'm Ian Gibbs. And this is a show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun is set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. It's Tuesday, August 8th. This is episode 14, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about but can never quite reach. How you doing, Ian? I'm doing well, Brennan. How are you doing? I am good, thank you. A little stunned I was able to pull all this together. It was sort of a, a last-minute recording several days ahead of schedule. Yeah, and uh, we were talking about that, that it's kind of a shock that we are doing it ahead of schedule <laughs> yeah. rather than late like usual. But, but we always talk about this. Let's let's try and actually get maybe even a couple episodes in the can Yeah. so I don't have to scramble around every two weeks. That was the idea, and it's never happened. No. But, so wasn't didn't we just say like last month that we're both done traveling, we're not going anywhere, <laughs> yep. and now we're both heading out of town again? Yeah, we did. Yeah. At least you're going on a vacation. That's true. I, I got to go to Revelstoke for Dave Rooney's funeral next week, Oh. and uh, thence to a fundraising event in Vancouver. Ooh, fancy. Are you waiting tables or something? <laughs> <laughs> Very funny, smart guy. Honestly, can you ever see me waiting tables? Uh, badly, but no, <laughs> not really. <laughs> well, no, that's fair. That's fair. I remember a couple of years ago, I volunteered as an event photographer for some kind of charitable thing. And at one point, I got roped into helping with the serving coffee at the um, oh, refreshments no. tent. Yeah, no, it didn't go well. It'd be it, like watching a bowl try and serve coffee <laughs> on its hooves. I lasted 15 minutes, tops, before I started getting angry at people. <laughs> and I had reached a point where I was just about to brain this guy with a coffee urn. Wow. And, and so I thought, yeah, no, service industry is not in my future. So scratch customer service focused <laughs> off your resume, I guess. Yet another thing I have to take out of my life. So what is the fundraiser actually for? It's a work thing, uh, raising money for an elder care facility in Burlington, Ontario. That's a good thing. Uh, yeah, I'll give it a proper pop at the end of the show. Nice. How about you? Where are you off to? Going to Seattle. Ooh. I know, and with the exchange rate the way it is, I must <laughs> yeah. be insane. But I'm um, yeah. going to go check out the Museum of Flight, the Trihuly Garden, um, probably that. The, they changed the name of it. It used to be the Music Experience, but now it's a Museum of Pop Culture. Oh, yeah, the Experience Music Project and yeah. Science Fiction Museum. Yeah, yeah, they've yeah, combined yeah. them. They're putting more shit in them, so. Oh, okay. It's all good. Well, uh, I got to say, I, I went there, and I could give a rat's ass about most of the musical stuff. Yeah. But I love the Science Fiction I Museum. I did, too. I the, did, too. I went for the music thing. I stayed for the Science Fiction. Oh, yeah. Awesome. The fact that they had, uh, I mean, they had one of the original Tribbles, or, or not Tribbles, um, Critters. Right. One yeah, of the original yeah, yeah. Critters there from the Critters movies that they yeah. had, one of the spinners from Blade Runner. Yep, yeah. And, as, well, and uh, along lines of legendary things, that's one of the things I'm excited to see at the um, Museum of Flight is the Concorde. Ooh, the Concorde. That is cool. I've actually been on one of the Concords. Like, you've ridden on it? Oh, no. No, no, no. Oh. I, no, no. That, that was before my time. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, it sold me two weeks in a row about my age. No, we, we went to the one of the, uh, uh, one of the flight museums in England somewhere. And we were on it. Uh, I, I tell you, man, you couldn't have paid me to fly on that thing. <laughs> Doing Mach 2 in a Pringles can. <laughs> it's a little snug, eh? <laughs> it's a little snug. 
I mean, people were smaller then too, I think, or at least I hope. Well, it's in the 1500s, but it's, it's harder to imagine people being larger speaking up this space. <laughs> yeah, no, oh. hey, oh. yeah, no, that's true. That's why I don't shop at Walmart. I don't want to be there when the collective weight of their customers causes the place to collapse into a fucking neutron star. I shop at Walmart. Yeah, just let that hang in the air. Oh, go to hell. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, today we're going to be talking about Annabelle, the haunted doll. Ooh, and tell me, how did we decide on that? Because the movie Annabelle Creation is coming out Friday, and True. I wanted to capitalize on the synergy. You try to leverage the publicity in the search engines. That's what you mean. Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. At least you're honest about it. Yes. <laughs> um, the Warrens are kind of having a, a, a heyday. This Annabelle thing is part of a series, right? Because I watched the the first movie that came out, and this is supposed to be part of a a series of their movies or something? Oh, yeah. So you saw The Conjuring. Yes. Right. Scary. It's, yeah, it was. It was it, really the good. The Conjuring is a good movie. Yeah. It, it was great. It's, yeah, the Warrens have done very well. I mean, Ed's dead. We'll, we'll talk about this yeah. later. Ed Warren yeah, passed yeah. in 06. But no, they've done very well by this. And, yeah. and as we talk about, uh, you know, after the break, I'm not really a big fan. No. Because a lot of their stuff is, I think Spurious is, is a very polite way to put it. <laughs> Yeah, so before I get ahead of myself, on this episode, we're going to be talking about the true story behind Annabelle Creation. Awesome. Right after the break. Welcome back. As we mentioned before the break, the film Annabelle Creation will be out on Friday. And so we decided to ride the coattails of that <laughs> and uh, do a deep dive into the, uh, well, the real story behind Annabelle. Whoa, were those air quotes? Those were air quotes. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so is this going to be another Provelia thing where we're completely destroying everyone's illusion of what a grand story is? Let me put it this way. If this episode were a Joseph Conrad novel, we would be traveling up a river of lies <laughs> to discover the cruel heart of bullshit which lies at the core of all men. If I didn't think it would have driven people away, I would have named this episode Heart of Bullshit. Well, I'm glad you didn't do that. I still might. Oh, God, please don't. Anyway, what do you know about the story of Annabelle? I saw the first movie. It was okay. Not all that scary, but it was competently made, which is a surprise given it was directed by the man who gave us Mortal Kombat Annihilation. <laughs> Not a good movie. Oh no, 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 no. Is that all you know that uh, about Annabelle going into the, researching this was the story in the movie? Sort of. I knew the story came to the world via Ed and Lorraine Warren, which made it problematic for me right from the start. Oh wow! Uh, there's the homeless guy over in Vancouver. He likes to pretend he's a teacher who's lost his passport and his wallet. Right. His hands are shredded. His clothes stink. He looks about as much like a teacher as I do a personal trainer. <laughs> I would put more stock in his word than I would the Warrens. Wow. Well, for those of you who don't know, Ed and Lorraine Warren are paranormal investigators. Well, they were. Ed is no longer around. But Lorraine claims to be a psychic and a light trance medium, and Ed claimed to be the only non-ordained de demonologist recognized by the Roman Catholic Church. Which is not true. They're based in Monroe, Connecticut, and in 1952, they started the New England Society for Physical Research with the goal of investigating- Psychical research. That's not a word. Tell them that. None of the 
They talk about it's real. Okay. So they started the New England Society for Psychical Research. Better. Uh, with the goal of investigating hauntings. Eventually, they graduated to helping people who were experiencing serious hauntings. And over the years, Ed says they worked thousands of cases. Now, Ed was a Catholic, and so his method of, well, ghost hunting, I guess you'd call it, was what he called a mix of Catholicism and science. Yeah, mixed together in one giant turd casserole. <laughs> it's always the Catholics. No one ever talks about the Unitarian demon hunter or the Baha'i vampire slayer. Or the Mormon mummy masher, I don't know, <laughs> yes, something yeah, like that. Yeah, but yeah. that's true, isn't it? I mean, you're Catholic, right? Why do you figure that is? Like, what is it about the Catholic Church? Is it all the pageantry and robes and smoke? Yeah, I think that's what it is. Oh. I, I think it's a pageantry. When your religion has a whole city-state full of secrets dedicated to it, yeah. people are going to make things up to fill in that blanks. True enough. I mean, I've never been to Vatican City, but I've sat through enough midnight mass and catechism. I feel pretty safe in saying the reality is going to be a lot less interesting than the popular depiction. <laughs> uh, where was I? Ed Warren using a cursory knowledge of both science and Catholicism to spin nonsense into money, like a <laughs> chubby Rumpelstiltskin. <laughs> right. Well, whatever you think of their methods, the Warrens have been in the business of the paranormal for more than 50 years. They also say they never charged a dime for their services, and that seems to be true, but they sure built them in the empire, writing books and working the lecture circuit. Yeah, no kidding. So would you say Annabelle is the most famous of their cases? I would say so. Um, Ed died in 2006. Uh, Lorraine has retired from the investigation business, but you can still tour their occult museum in Monroe. Hooray. <laughs> and the real Annabelle is kind of the centerpiece of that museum. So why don't you tell us the real story of Annabelle? <laughs> the real story, air quotes. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm going to air quotes so hard. I'm going to break my knuckles. <laughs> I would be delighted to. So it all starts in 1970 in a Hartford, Connecticut secondhand store when a woman buys a vintage Raggedy Ann doll as a gift for her adult daughter. Hang on. How old are Raggedy Ann dolls? I, I mean, they were big in the 70s, but this it was vintage in 1970? Yeah, Raggedy Ann was actually patented in 1915. Really? 1915? Yeah. I don't know how, I don't know when production started, but uh, that's when they were patented. And the only reason I know that is that there's a persistent myth about the creator having made them to memorialize his daughter who died from being vaccinated. Oh God, the anti-vaxxers were active back then. <laughs> I mean, that is horrible, but which part is the myth? Uh, that he created them to memorialize his daughter. Oh. She did die from an infection after being vaccinated. But uh, the doll had already been patented, so the timelines don't match. Right. She died from an infection uh, caused, I assume, by the fact that in 1915, sterilization was something forced on poor people uh, more than it was a practice being applied to everyday medicine. Right. All right. So this woman bought the vintage Raggedy Ann doll for her grown daughter, Donna, as either a Christmas or a birthday gift. The stories vary as to which one it was. Donna was a nursing student who shared a small apartment with her roommate and classmate Angie, and sometimes Angie's fiance, Lou. Donna, who presumably was as creeped out by her mother giving her a child-sized doll as I am, <laughs> left it on her bed for decoration. She was single, I take it. <laughs> How did you know? Lucky guess. <laughs> I think the real Annabelle being a Raggedy Ann doll, that's way scarier <laughs> than the porcelain than the one they had in the movie. That's true, yeah. I, I used to think the opposite. I used to think that the, the porcelain doll was scarier. But after spending a little bit of time just looking at the pictures, I yeah. don't think the doll's haunted, spoiler alert, but I think it's creepy. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, Donna would leave the doll on her bed, and her and Angie started to notice that it would shift slightly while she was away. First, it was subtle. They'd find the doll with its arms and legs crossed. But eventually, the two started coming home to find it in different places physically than where they'd left it. Sometimes it would end up back in Donna's room with the door closed. Sometimes it would be leaning against the dining room chair. 
And one time, they even found the doll kneeling, which, because it was stuffed with rags, they claimed was an impossible pose for it to hold. As if that wasn't bad enough, Donna started finding little notes scrawled on parchment paper. They'd say things like, help us, or help Lou. According to Donna, she didn't have any such parchment around the house, so she couldn't figure out where the notes were coming from. Thinking someone else had a key and was pranking them, she and Angie set out a bunch of traps that would show them if someone had come into the home while they were away. None of them were tripped, but the notes kept coming. The last straw was Donna coming home to find what looked like drops of blood on the back of the doll's head and on the front of her dress. And then she called in a psychic. So how long did this go on for until she called in a psychic? Because straight up, the first time I come home to find my dancing James Brown doll anywhere other than the closet where I keep it, I'm leaving all my stuff behind and starting a new life in the sea. <laughs> you have a dancing James Brown doll. You know what? No, I don't want to know. I really don't want to know. It took her roughly about four to six weeks. And what did the psychic tell her? The psychic said the doll was a focal point for the energy of a seven-year-old girl named Annabelle Higgins. According to the psychic, Annabelle used to live on the same plot of land as their apartment building, but long before, like back when it was a farm. The spirit claimed to have been killed in an automobile accident and said she enjoyed the company of the girls and asked if she could stay with them, inhabiting the doll. The ladies felt sorry for the girl and gave their permission for her to stay, naming the doll Annabelle. Now, you all can't see this, but I was just shaking my head yeah. because if a spirit or anything that you cannot see says, can I stay? The answer is no. The answer is no, unequivocally. It, yeah. That, that is like a, a public health tip from <laughs> yeah. our program to you. <laughs> That's right. If a, if a spirit of any kind says, hey, is it cool if I hang out? The answer is no. No. All right. <laughs> all right. So, and, and this bit is actually in the movie too, and it- it didn't go well for them. No, it does not. Days later, Lou claimed to have been sleeping alone in the apartment when he woke up paralyzed. He then claims he felt Annabelle glide up his body until she got to his neck, and then she choked him out. He f***ed that doll, didn't he? What? You heard me. She glided up my body till she choked me out. <laughs> that sounds like the ghost BJ scene from Ghostbusters, but for a masochist. <laughs> that is so gross. Seriously, though, I you f***ed that doll. <laughs> but uh, anyways, no, I, I've been trying to hold off commenting on the story until you're done, but I, I do want to interject something. Here. Oh, surprise. Go ahead. So from what I've read, Lou describes that encounter ending two different ways. Uh, there's the one you told where the doll chokes him out, and another way in which he says he shook free from his paralysis, threw Annabelle off him into a heap. And now we both know our memories of paranormal events can sometimes be compromised mm -hmm. just by the very strange nature of them. But I got to say, if I'm ever attacked by a f***ing doll... You bet your ass I'm going to remember how that thing ends. <laughs> and I'll remember because I will never stop talking about it. <laughs> Would Sarah like something from the wine cellar? A haunted doll once choked me. <laughs> Do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? Raggedy Ann tried to kill me once. I peed. <laughs> you remember these things is what I'm saying. <laughs> that is that is very true. And I think you would probably uh, build yourself a career based on that experience. I would build myself a castle on the moon <laughs> is what I would build. However it went, Annabelle was not done with Lou. Another time, he and Angie were in the living room looking at maps. They were planning out a trip that he was going to take when they heard a rustling noise in Donna's room. Lou approached the closed door and waited for the noises to stop before opening it and going inside. He saw Annabelle lying in the far corner of the room, and when he steps inside to pick her up, he felt someone behind him. Lou spun around, couldn't see anyone, but felt a pain in his chest, and he started bleeding. When he looked under his clothes, he found seven claw-like scratches on his chest, four horizontal and three vertical, that felt like he'd been burned. 
It wasn't long after this that Donna contacted an Episcopalian priest named Father Hagen, who contacted Superior, who in turn contacted the Warrens. And does Donna know nothing? You always call the Catholics in this situation. I know. What the hell is an Episcopalian <laughs> going to do? Episcopal at you? I don't even know what the hell those are. They're Anglicans. It's the American word for Anglican. Really? Yeah, I know, because I used to work for the Anglican Church. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I mean, the best they're going to be able to do is shake your hand and thank you for showing up. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's a, there's not going to be yeah. that. Like, although, growing up in Calgary, in the Anglican Church, my friend's father was an Anglican priest, and he was the unofficial official exorcist for the Diocese of Calgary. Really? Yeah, and he actually uh, helped me a lot because he told me stories, keeping in mind growing up and been told I was either crazy or lying or making it up or whatever. Right. I said to him a couple of churches I'd been in where I had felt certain things and he actually said, yeah, you're right. And, oh. and this is the story behind that. Interesting. So I would have to say the Episcopalian Anglican uh, priest was the first person to ever honestly level with me and talk to me on a reasonable intellectual level oh, fair about enough. this stuff. So... They, were, know, they weren't totally out of line. They weren't totally out of line. All right, keep yeah. going. <laughs> so according to the story, the, the Warrens realized right, right away that the haunting was not a little girl, but was actually demonic in nature. Ed Warren actually said, quote, God does not allow a child's spirit to go into a doll. This was a devil, a demon inside the doll, which was impersonating the spirit of a child, end quote. The Warrens convinced Father Cook to perform an exorcism on the apartment and to bless the people living there. Donna asked the Warrens to take Annabelle with them, which I'm sure upset her mother, which they did. Too bad. <laughs> and it now sits in a glass case in their haunted museum, which they describe as the most haunted room in the world, world, world. Asterisk. I, I just felt like I had to. Yeah, no, that's fair. Before he died in 2006, Ed claimed that Annabelle took the life of a young man who visited the museum and taunted the doll. He said the man was killed in a motorcycle accident after leaving the Warren home. That is the real story of Annabelle, as told by the Warrens. All right, so the short version of what I have to say is, is I don't believe the story as a whole. And there are bits I find interesting, but overall, this strikes me as bad, jumped-up fiction told by idiots. In, in what way? Uh, so my major problem with the story is, is that the only ones telling it are the Warrens. I, I don't know that the real Donna or Angie or Lou ever came forward. Mm. I remember how last week, too, I said people should be wary of multiple stories using the same language. Yeah. That goes double for when all the stories come from a single person or group who fail to produce even a shred of circumstantial evidence. Mm, true. For example, if Annabelle was killed, that you know she wasn't killed in the Wild West, there would have been a death certificate. Right. I've never seen a death certificate produced. Right. Now, that's not to say it doesn't exist. And I mean, if any of our listeners have seen it, please let me know. But its absence is telling. You can walk into the BC archives and pull death records in the late 19th century up to the 80s. And even if they don't have a system as streamlined as BC... Presumably that information is available. Connecticut's not on the far side of the moon. <laughs> no, it's one of the oldest places in North America, I believe. Is it? Yeah. I've only ever driven through it very briefly at two in the morning. It's very leafy and full of white houses with rich people. Not my experience, but again, <laughs> freeway, two in the morning. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. Uh, secondly, their word isn't worth all that much. I mean, as we were talking before you know, in, in the intro about Conjuring 2. Yeah. Well, that one is about the Enfield poltergeist. And it tells a story of the Warrens being called to England to help bust that particular ghost. Right. Now, I know these things aren't meant to be documentaries, but Lorraine consulted on the film. And the whole thing is about them allegedly based on their case files. So the implication is that they were heavily involved. Except according to Guy Playfair, who literally wrote the book on Enfield. Yeah. That wasn't how it happened. This is an excerpt from Playfair's interview on Darkness Radio. It's just a direct quote. Right. I bumped into Ed Warren once or twice and Lorraine. And I got the impression that Ed Warren was, well... Fill in your own expletive. <laughs> I wasn't impressed at all. Lorraine is still living, so I'll refrain from commenting on her, but she was quite pleasant when I met her. They did turn up once, I think, at Enfield, and all I can remember is Ed Warren telling me he could make me a lot of money out of this. 
So I thought, well, that's all I need to know from you. And I got myself out of his way as soon as I could, end quote. So the Warrens are happy to make things up when it suits them. And that doesn't encourage me to take them at face value. So you think any of this story happened? I think it's possible. I think it's entirely possible there was a Donna, Angie, and Lou, and that the two women kept finding the doll moving around, or moved around rather, but I think it was Lou doing it. Huh. Now, what makes you say that? Because if we believe the story, then the girls were the ones who would find the doll moved. Very little is said about what Lou was doing at this point. Well, that seems like a pretty messed up thing to do, though. I mean, why would someone move a doll around like that? Well, it depends on how far you let it go, right? Okay, so <clears throat> full disclosure, when I was a teenager... My sister had a Teletubby doll that really creeped out one of my friends. Right. So every now and again, we would move it just to <laughs> f*** with him. I remember one time he had gone to the bathroom, and so we, we snuck up to the door and left Tinky Winky or whatever <laughs> in the middle of the floor outside the can. He opened the door and jumped about a mile. <laughs> That's kind of awesome. <laughs> yeah. So you've just always enjoyed being a terrible person. Always. <laughs> but really, though, you, you can't write off the possibility of a prank because it's it, because it's something you wouldn't personally do. Sure. I mean, some people will go a long way to screw with someone else. So it, it's not a stretch to imagine Lou being in on this. I, and really, the fact that the note specified him is, to me, also telling. Help Lou? Come on. Oh, I get it now. Oh, God, what? Lou was angling for a three-way. Oh, it just got out of hand. Oh, please. I don't think that's right. It's 100% right. You scared of the nasty doll fiancé's roommate? <laughs> you can bunk with us. Oh, yeah. Uh, Too warm in here for pajamas. Oh, my God. Please stop. <laughs> I mean, it's, okay, it's not a lock, but it, I wouldn't rule it out. Anyways, uh, you said there are a couple things about the story that you took a little more seriously, or at least that caught your interest. There were. The, the first was the spirit of the little girl telling the medium that she found Donna and Angie's presence comforting. <laughs> this isn't going to be disgusting, is it? No, 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 no. <laughs> For a change. Uh, keeping you guessing. All right, so back, this is 10 years ago now. Right. A friend of mine was in a pretty bad car accident. So I lived with his brother for a little while while my friend was getting better. And his brother was what you might call an enthusiast of certain types of chemicals. <laughs> I see. And uh, I mean, that kind of thing has never done much for me. But one night he had a friend over and they had some salvia. So I thought, well, when in Rome. And you smoked salvia with them? I did. Ooh. So for those of you who aren't familiar with it, salvia is a psychoactive herb which can bring on visions once you exhale. Oh. And, and I mean capital V visions, a full-on sensory hallucination. Yikes. I know a guy who claimed he would exhale and suddenly find himself sitting in a river up to his back. Wow. He claimed he could feel a current gently pushing him. He could see the trees on either side of the riverbank. He could hear sounds coming from the forest. I mean, my experience wasn't anywhere near that cool. But what was notable about it was the length. A typical salvia high is supposed to last about five minutes. Mine would not go away. So you just kept on hallucinating? I, I never actually hallucinated, but the feeling of being altered just kind of hung on for more than an hour. Wow. Uh, then at one point, the, the guy suggested we go down to the garage to smoke a joint. And again, you know, went in Rome. Oh, good so, so I had a few puffs. So you were combining drugs. Brilliant plan. <laughs> it wasn't my finest moment. <laughs> I was a young man. Uh -huh. uh, they're both harmless substances too, but I use them badly. And, and that's something I'd like to be clear about. Salvia is meant to be used with a proper setting and for a purpose, like ayahuasca. Right. I mean, it's not as powerful as ayahuasca, but they should both be treated with respect. They're right. teaching tools, not recreational drugs. Right. So I was stoned, <laughs> sitting in the garage on the old sofa some old tenant had left. When I suddenly imagined myself speaking to a young girl, according to the guys, I would speak, then appear to be listening to something neither of them could hear. Wow. And, and I told them I was speaking to a young girl who really enjoyed having them living in the house because they were so relaxed. She enjoyed the quiet. Holy crap. That might happen. Uh, that was it. Nothing. Oh. Um, but once I was back home, the guys did call me to say they had found a letter buried way down inside the old couch that validated some of what I said. 
They claim the letter seemed to be written by a young girl to a friend and that part of it was about how much her parents were fighting and how she hated all the screaming. I mean, I'm not completely sure they weren't messing with me, but it sure seemed to validate what I was saying. That is really interesting. I mean, maybe you were having some sort of spiritual experience because of this drug. It could be. And and so that's, again, it kind of connects me to the, the Warren thing. Uh, and it could be unrelated. It could be we both tapped into some kind of common hallucination. It could be we both tapped into the psyche of young girls in times of stress. Or, or it could be that we both bumped up against something that pretends to be a child in order to get you to let your guard down. Right. Uh, and I mean, it left an impression though. I, I tell you, after that night, I didn't touch another joint for seven years until I started working at the dispensary. Wow. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a difference between a demon inhabiting a doll and a spirit of young girl appearing, right? Like I'm, I'm thinking, like, who knows? It might've been actually, I don't know. I'm kind of caught on that, but you were sitting on this couch and that couch had a link to the previous tenants and stuff. Yeah. It, and, and who knows? Like I said, is it, uh, are we really picking up on spirits or is it psychic residue? Is it, right? I mean, who knows, yeah. right? It's, it's so hard to, it's so hard to, to really come away with any answer. Well, in that case, I don't think it was demonic, but Ed Warren in this case very much thought it was something de- demonic masquerading as a girl. Yeah. But, but Ed Warren thought everything was a freaking demon. <laughs> demon behind every tree. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, it just validated his worldview. Or rather, I should say, he said everything was demonic. Right. Whether he actually believed any of it is open for debate. I, I've said this before, but it bears repeating. I don't believe in the Christian mythology at all, period, end of discussion. Which is not to say I don't believe in a higher power or even the possibility of a historical Jesus. But so much of scripture is pagan ritual repackaged mm-hmm. that it's ridiculous to suggest the whole thing is some kind of valid unified whole. And, and that's before you factor in things like the Council of Trent. Right. So I don't believe in demons or demonology. I, I do believe in evil spirits, though, mm-hmm. and I believe that these things manifest using the visual vocabulary we have. So yeah. if you believe in demons, yeah, you're, you're going to see demons. But, I mean, doesn't that mean then it is demons? If it something looks like something and acts like something, that old saying about the duck? <laughs> yeah, no, I get what you're saying, but I, I don't think so. I, I know a guy who had a spirit comfort him as a young man when his parents would fight, and he called the thing R2-D2 because that's how he saw it. Right. Obviously, this is no doubt going to break your heart. R2-D2 is not real. It does break my heart. <laughs> I always wanted one when I was a kid. Now, I would also like a BB-8. Of course you would. <laughs> Even Star Wars. Oh, come on. Anyways, so whatever this thing was, he, he interpreted a certain way using the visual vocabulary he had available to him, which, of course, as a child, isn't much. I'm not getting visual vocabulary. It sounds suspiciously like that stupid movie where they said the <laughs> indigenous couldn't see Columbus coming because they didn't know what <laughs> ships were. Come on. Turning his boats to the Italian equivalent of Wonder Woman's invisible jet. <laughs> I think it, that's a ludicrous theory. But in, in fairness, I guess what I'm saying isn't all that room, far removed from it. I, I think that whatever all this paranormal shit is, uh, I think it exists on a different wavelength from us. Right. But I think that we cannot comprehend it in its natural state any more than a colorblind person can properly see color. Right. That person's eyes lacks the proper amount of cones to fully perceive color. And so they only see as much as their limited amount of cones allow. Right. Maybe they don't see red and green very well or at all. It doesn't mean red and green don't exist. It means they can't perceive them and their brains, their brain adjusts the incoming data to make it comprehensible. Maybe whatever these things are in their natural state, we lack the metaphorical cones to be able to see them as they truly are. So our brains adjust the data and substitute things we do understand. So I kind of have my own demon story. Okay. If you would like to hear. I sure would. Okay. This is going to involve revealing a lot of personal uh, embarrassing information about me. Oh, I love these stories. <laughs> when I was Let me 19. Let sure recording. Okay, yeah. we're good. 
when I was 19, I was in a country gospel band. I was the youngest member and I was very good in harmony. So they enjoyed my company a great deal. My point of the story <laughs> is we would go into prisons. Uh, we would do small town rodeos. We would do all these sorts of things, but we would do as part of our kind of Christian ethos, we would go into the prisons and we would do free concerts. So I was pretty used to that. I had actually written a couple of songs for the group. Um, one of them I'd written two weeks earlier. Uh, we'd all worked very hard to learn it. And when we did concerts, there were five of us in the band. We never used sheet music. It was always very professional. So we never took any sheet music in with us. We got in there and the prisoners came in and one guy was sitting right in the front row in front of us and he had a big smile on his face. And when we started the concert, he was singing along to every song. He knew the words. He knew when the choruses were. He knew when the bridges were. He even caught the chord changes all of our songs, except for a few, you know, standard kind of hymn ones, right. were original. We did not do a lot of old stuff. We did Amazing Grace and I'll Fly Away and One Glad Morning, you know, all that stuff. But we didn't, most of our songs were original songs. There is no way this guy could have known them. So I noticed it. Two of the other band members noticed it. We were completely freaked out by it. Yeah, no kidding. And afterwards, we were cleaning up, and I busied myself like I have never busied myself before with the mic cords, making sure they were very evenly wrapped. When <laughs> the lead of our band caught my eye, and she was sitting beside this guy in the front row, and she gestured me over. And I was like, <laughs> I don't want to do this. <laughs> so I went, and I sat down on the other side of him, and she said to him, you seem to have been enjoying the concert. And he said, oh, yeah, very much. I really enjoyed it. And she said, uh, how, how did you know all the words to the songs. And he was very um, nonchalant about it. He's like, oh, they tell me. And she's like, who tells you? And he says, oh, my friends, my friends who live in my head, they tell me what I need to know. They tell me what to do, and they tell me who I can trust and who I can't. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, well, you know, schizophrenic. But right. that does not explain how he knew all the words for the songs, including one I had written two weeks earlier. Right. And he knew all of it and sang with us, not just mouth the words. He was singing. We could hear him. He was hitting all the right notes. So she said, do you want us to pray with you? And he said, oh, I'd like that very much. And so she began to pray and she was praying that the demons would come out. She was using words like demons. Right. And he changed. He was, it was like being in a movie and I'm sitting on the side going, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Like a, a true, you know, brave man that I am. And um, you didn't run though. That's no, I didn't thing. run. And she was praying for him. And as she was praying for him, he'd go, he would say things like, yes, Jesus. And then he would say, F you Christ bitch. Hmm. And things like this in a different kind of voice. Like right. it was really like being in a movie. If I hadn't seen him sing all those songs, I would absolutely hundred percent think, oh, he's faking it. Right. Like he's just, this is too uh, classic for it to be real. She kept going. She, of course, can hear him say these horrific things to her. And eventually she stopped and she looked at him and she said, do you want these things to come out of you? And he looked at her quite shocked and he said, no, of course not. They help me every day. Oh. And she goes, she looks at me and I'm like shrugging. Like, I don't even know what, I don't even know how to walk away from this. And um, she turns back to him and she goes, well, I hope if you ever want them to go away, they will. And he said, thank you so much. Like, he couldn't have been nicer. Of course, yeah. Um, but because I witnessed that with my own eyes, and I saw this guy sing every freaking song, word for word, note for note, perfectly, 
I, I couldn't explain that one because I have seen people where, oh, you know, oh, they have a demon in them. And you're like, no, that's pretty clearly mental. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, and, and that's out of all my years of being in, in that world. And I'm using air quotes here, uh, but being in that world, he was the only one I ever thought. I don't get that. That is not something I can explain. There right. is no way to explain that one away. And I was around that for a lot of years. Like growing up, that was part of my world. So that experience, that made me a believer. You know, and it, it reminds me of something you and I have talked about a little bit in that, I, I, you know, obviously I, I don't at all believe the story of Annabelle. I mean, we'll, we'll break it down more. There is one other thing that mm-hmm. kind of worked for me that I that bears some relation to things I've read about. But overall, I, I think if it becomes this well-known, yeah, it's bull. It's, it's just not real. Right. Because where I find truth is in places like that, in these little pockets of the world that aren't sensational. They're not sensational. And it wasn't. I mean, literally me and the other two other singers were the ones who noticed. And then me and the band leader had that conversation with them afterwards. And we shared it with the rest of the band. And they're all like, yeah, it doesn't surprise me. Yeah. But you're right. It's not sensational. No, that's it. Like, I really don't know what that was. And it's kind of one of those messy stories that doesn't fit in a box. That's it. And that's that's the frustrating thing about it. It, it doesn't fit anywhere. And, yeah. and these things, they don't have to have an ending. And most of the time they don't. No. You know, like, I mean, how many times have I told you about X little weird thing happened to me? Right. And it's never anything that I would write a book about. No. But no, it's no. certainly things that, that do discomfort me for days. Well, and, and when and you add of, them together. Yeah, that that's it. It paints a bigger picture, right? So, so no, I, I think yeah. that's, that's a fascinating way to look at it. Yeah. So no, I think that that's a really fascinating story. And I, th- I think you might've actually told that once before, but that's okay. Cause it's a good story on the show. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's, it's a great I'm, story. I'm like your weird uncle <laughs> sitting there drinking too much scotch and repeating himself. Man. Great. Well, you were saying that, uh, that happened at work once you were telling a story. You were about to tell a story. Yes. I was, I was about to tell a story and the person turned to me and went, yeah, yeah. I heard this on the podcast. And I was like, oh my God, that was upsetting. Yeah. Because I like telling stories. But oh, and, and you're great at it. Apparently now I can't. <laughs> you just got to have more experiences. That's, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'll go hang out at the doctor's room. Go hang out. Well, yeah. <laughs> anyways. So we got pretty heavy there. Why don't we take a break and uh, get back to this afterwards? That sounds great. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Before the break, we were talking about the true story behind Annabelle. Brandon had expressed doubts as to its legitimacy, and we were discussing a few parts of the story he did think had merit. Yeah, so the first, of course, uh, was a spectral little girl allegedly talking to the psychic. As I mentioned before, we had our little digression there. I I run into something like that once myself while I was very high. (laughs) Uh, And the other thing that seemed interesting was the scratches on Lou when he went to investigate the rustling sound. Well, what's the significance of that? Has like something like that happened to you? No, no, but um, it reminded me of something I read. It was an article by Greg Newkirk from Week and Weird. He published it in 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the article is entitled When Ghosts Attack, How Getting Scratched by an Invisible Monster Changed My Opinions on the Paranormal. It doesn't sound over sensationalized at all. No, I know. <laughs> 
Uh, but I mean, and Newkirk's a, I, th- I think he's a pretty decent writer, but right. he was part of a large ghost investigation at the Ohio State Reformatory outside of Mansfield. Okay. There was like 200 people wandering around the building and the grounds looking for evidence of haunting. Right. Uh, Newkirk himself was in a windowless room with a few other people when he felt someone rush past behind him, pushing him out of the way. So he, he thought he'd been in someone's way. So he turned around to apologize. Then he realized he'd been standing with his back to the wall the whole time. Mm, creepy. Yeah. <laughs> so the next bit, I'm just going to quote him directly. Okay. As my brain tried to comprehend whatever glitch it had just experienced, I began to feel an intense burning sensation in the middle of my back, the kind of burning you feel when your older brother winds up and slaps your bare skin as hard as he can. (laughs) When I mentioned it to the group, Michael Humphrey, the the former inmate we were exploring the prison with, turned to me and said, I bet you got scratched. Lift up your shirt. I couldn't see the marks myself, but the gasps of the three others in the room was the only confirmation I needed. And I've seen pictures. They took pictures immediately after. And he does have, interestingly, they're not scratches, they're welts. Oh, wow. There, there's Because the, the way he sort of differentiates it is that a scratch, you kind of have that trail of broken tissue yeah, there. Yeah, These are just red welts. Like raised up. Exactly. Right. So there's honest level-headed precedent for the scratching incident Lou described. I don't know. I believe it happened to Lou, but it's at least possible. I'm with you. I mean, I don't have the total mistrust of the warrants that you do, but I kind of think they sold out their credibility when they became celebrities. Yeah. And the story of Annabelle... It kind of seems unlikely to me. I mean, you and I have both experienced things that don't fit in the way most people understand the world. And we've had combined 100 people or more tell us that their stories and nothing, nothing has ever been as crazy as this. No. Everything we've heard has a kind of commonality. Hauntings behave a certain way. Poltergeists behave a certain way. Um, so say cursed items behave a certain way and nowhere in any of these behaviors is there room for a doll suddenly come to life and assaulting someone. Do you remember that story you told me about the haunted brick? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. That, that was scary. But, well, not scary, but it was interesting. And it was subtle. And it's not like the family woke up in the night to find the brick looming over them with a knife in its teeth and a dead look in its eyes. <laughs> no. Now, as you've discussed, it, it's hard to remember which stories we've told on here and which we haven't. Yeah, exactly. So I, I'm just going to tell this story. And if I'm repeating it, you know, you all can throw sticks at me later. All right. So Sydney Island is a small island east of the town of Sydney, which is itself a small town north of Victoria on Vancouver Island. Uh, the island is half protected parkland and half for sale to any rich dick looking to hide some foreign money. It's for sale right now? Uh, yeah, 300 acres of it, almost 300 acres is available for private sale, yeah. Whoa, I had no idea. Uh, I knew that the Sydney Brick and Tile Works were there until around 1915, but not the parts of the island were for sale. I will have to look into this seriously. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. I'll, <laughs> I'll have my money people look at it. <laughs> That's what I call the Keebler Elves. I <laughs> sit on top of my jar of change. <laughs> exactly. Have you, have you ever been up to the island? No, I have not. Don't bother. Okay. I mean, it's pretty sure, but who gives a rat's ass? <laughs> you know, it, it, everywhere we live, it's everywhere on the island is pretty. Right. And it, it's bad enough we have to take one ferry. Yeah. When you then have to take a passenger ferry that can only take so many people. Yes. And there's a lineup every hour to get back. Yeah. It's, it just sucks. Yeah, I hear you. I have no way to dress it up. It just sucks. <laughs> And even though the, the brick and tile works have been closed for 100 years, you can periodically find bits of brick scattered around the island. Cool. Yeah, and a, a family I know found one of those pieces while on a day trip to the island. And actually, they found a whole brick, which I think is pretty rare by now. Yeah. Uh, so they brought it home and decided it would make a great conversation piece on their mantle. Within days of bringing it in, their youngest son started to act strangely. Uh, and his mother asked him what was wrong, and he said there was a shadowy man walking around her bedroom. <laughs> Yikes. Yikes. She told a friend who removed the brick, and shortly thereafter, the shadow man stopped appearing. Did he start appearing in the friend's house then? No. Actually, what the friend did was take the brick out of the house, and unbeknownst to the woman who had it in the first place, she, they left it under a plant at the back of the yard. So it was still on the property, but the shadow man stopped showing up in the house. Exactly. 
So maybe there's something to the idea that these things have to be invited in and bringing the brick in was an invitation. Or maybe the sun was creeped out by the brick and made up a story. I, I guess we'll never know. But if you take it at face value, that's a legitimate example of a haunted object. Making a walking doll that much more unlikely. Oh, yeah. yeah. And on that terribly disappointing note, we're going to wrap it. Oh, wait, no. No, no. I have a much better story to go out on. Do tell. All right. So researching this episode, I read a lot about the Warrens and watched a few videos about them. Right. One was a guided tour of their haunted museum, <laughs> which they claim is full of terribly cursed items collected on their adventures. Like a lame version of the warehouse in Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly <laughs> like that. In one shot, when the camera's panning over shelf of evil books, there is, I kid you not, a copy of the Simon Necronomicon. No. Yes. <laughs> If you're not familiar with it, the, the Necronomicon was a fictional black magic book H.P. Lovecraft used to write about in his stories. Uh, but then in the 70s, a writer calling himself Simon wrote a real one, <laughs> full on air quotes here, uh, which claimed to be the book Lovecraft always talked oh about. Oh my God. But it was mostly just a combination of bad Lovecraftian fanfic with some allegedly ancient Sumerian spells in it, none of which, of course, was in any way true. And uh, it, was, it was all nonsense. I, I remember getting a copy out of the public library when I was a kid. So there, on the shelf in their goofy-ass museum, was the same paperback edition that I got in the Revelstoke Library. <laughs> With, I kid you not, a post-it note on the front that helpfully reads, Book of Shadows. That's a bit like a linguistics museum having a book of Klingon. In, <laughs> no, in that's there. more valid. A book of Klingon <laughs> is more valid because there are actually people who go around speaking Klingon. Oh, I know. Yeah. Oh, I met some of them. Oh, God. Well, I'm, I'm glad they told us that it's yeah. the Book of Shadows. And then there, there was actually a Dungeons and Dragons rule book there too. Oh, you know what? Dungeons and Dragons, that was serious when I was a kid. Really? That, yes. The, that was the devil's game <laughs> and you had to stay away from it. But realistically, I think the only threat it really represents is the someone's ability to get laid. Because <laughs> that's not going to happen. No. Nope. On that, we are agreed. <laughs> All right. Now we can wrap it up. Okay. Now we can wrap it up. All right. I'm going to link Greg Newkirk's article on getting scratched in the show notes so you can read more about that. Greg is a great writer and his work is worth following. Also, I, I'm going to link the transcript of an episode of Monster Talk where the Warrens are not well spoken of. <laughs> it's not a baseless takedown, though. They do excerpt interviews with them. And Ed, at least. That's hard to say. Yeah. <laughs> Ed doesn't come off looking all that great. Anything you want to plug today? No, I'm just doing ghostly walks. I'm down to uh, one day a week. I'm on Thursday nights. But, nice. But uh, check out. Um, you must uh, be going crazy with all the spare time. Yeah, right. You're not exhausted all that, every day. Well, yeah, no, I still am. But um, <laughs> and I've got lots of stuff coming up September, October. So I'll talk more about that then. Oh, okay. But otherwise, um, if you want to come in and go on a ghost walk with me, just email us at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. Handholding is extra. Okay. <laughs> Handhold is not an option. Uh, and uh, I'll give you my schedule. Officially. And also my book, Victoria's Most Haunted, was on a list of top summer reads on the 49th Shelf blog, which was pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, of course, if you want to pick up your own copy, it's available everywhere books are sold. Amazon, Chapters, Barnes & Noble. And I have to make a plug for Boland's Books in Victoria because they're the ones who put me on their summer reading list. So oh. thank you, Boland's. There you go. Thank you, Boland's. How who wouldn't you? carry my book? <laughs> Bastards. Well, well, I guess there's no quality. Um, how about you? Do you have a couple things you want to talk about without giving me a death look? I'm kind of attached to the death look right now. 
You do it very well. Thank you. Yeah. You look uh, very Italian. <laughs> hey. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, on August 29th at 9.30 Eastern, I'll be appearing for an hour on Haunted Voices Radio. You can listen to that at hauntedvoices.com. And very cool. I believe we'll be giving away some Ghost Story Guys merch to some lucky listeners, so you'll definitely want to tune in. Nice. Also, I will be in the crowd at Collective Care 3 on Thursday, August 10th at Venue Nightclub in Vancouver. So if you like rock and roll and helping out a great cause, come on by. Tickets are 30 bucks and available from internetdispensary.com and maybe at the door. Look for Collective Care 3 on Facebook for details. They'll have it all there. Smoking weed is not a compulsory part of the event. It's being sponsored <laughs> by those kind of companies, but you don't have to. We just want folks to come by and have a good time. There'll be some gourmet pizza there and some great tunes. And if you are a listener, make sure to come find me and let me know. I'd love to say hi. I'm not going to give them a hug. <laughs> no, no. Ian and I discussed the free hug initiative. No, please. It's, it's no. Well, first of all, neither of us are huggers. No. But the fact that you would have strangers coming up and hugging you with the way you are, it just seems like a really bad idea. The, what do you mean the way I are? <laughs> I think it's just safer if we just remain hand shaking people. Yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah, that's good, fair. Good call. And otherwise, you can find my book, Strange Little Place in the Usual Spots, Amazon, Chapters, Barnes & Noble, not bowling books. <laughs> Copies keep selling a little bit, so it's someone's buying them. Thank you very much. That's excellent. Uh, please, please rate and review us on iTunes and Stitcher as it helps us get more eyes on the page. We're still seeing some awesome increase in numbers. So we're really happy about that, so thank you to whoever's been helping us get the word out. And we've, see, we've also received a really wonderful email from Vinny, who is, I I'm going to say my new best friend. Uh, he had some very kind words for us. If you have any feedback for us, positive or negative, please send us a message at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com or on Facebook where you really should uh, share our posts because that also helps get the word out when we're uh, promoting stuff. This is true. Yeah. I, you know, speaking of new listeners, I noticed looking at the, at the stats, we have some people from Morgantown, West Virginia. Oh. And uh, I got to say, I like Morgantown. If you guys are still listening. I passed through there a couple of years ago and you have this great restaurant called the Dirty Bird. <laughs> and man, they know how to make a buffalo chicken sandwich. Why is everything food with you? It's always like, oh, this town with the best donuts ever and this town with the best ribs. And I, I, I fail to see the problem here. Well, how about a museum or an art gallery or something cultural? Most of the time we're driving. On these trips, when I end up in the States, it's usually when I'm helping my friend move. Right. Well, you got to stop that. That's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But so typically we're we're driving eight, nine, ten hours a day. You stop at the end of the day, you don't give a rat's ass about museums. I hear you. Okay. You know, you care about eating, true, sleeping, sleeping, and maybe having something to drink. Okay. And we've also finally tested out the Threadless store. And we've been yes. very happy with the yes. results. If you want some GSG apparel, head on over to ghoststoryguys.threadless.com and grab some merch. I am personally impressed with that pillow. Oh, yeah, the pillow is the fantastic. The pillow is amazing. And who would not want that in their living room? Um, if you do have- Or in their bed. Oh, please stop. If wow. you, oh, no, 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 no. If you do happen to buy some merch, would you please take a photo of it and send it to us? We'll put it up on our Facebook page, and Brennan will also post it to his Instagram page. Thanks, as always, to Bizanta Music for our theme music and the bumpers this week. I always love hearing new music from Peter. You can find him online at soundcloud.com slash Music or via the link in the show notes. And funny enough- He's asked me, I don't know if it's actually going to happen, but he's asked me to appear on one of his hip hop tracks. As what? Reading some some <laughs> stuff, some English, because he does, obviously, you know, him and his buddies are rappers. Right. And uh, Russian rappers. Yes. Yes. So it makes them a little more scary, I think. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so they're really good. And uh, so, yeah, he's got this thing he wants me to read. So there would be Russian rapping and then DJ Bren. <laughs> 
reading this English language track over the end. When I think hip-hop and rap, I think Brennan. <laughs> <laughs> Things I never thought I'd do. No. That's going to do it for us. We will be back in two weeks with more. Until then, into the darkness we go. If you're not familiar with it, the necro, oh, this is going to be hard to say. Necro, neck. How about I, how about I take that line? Okay. <laughs> Unless you're a pale redhead. Stop it. Mm. With, with a bad attitude and not much hope. That's right. That's really your. In a motorbike. <laughs> and ripped jeans. She was given a raggedy handy. Oh. A raggedy handy. Oh, <laughs> do not put that in. Please. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, <laughs> I tried starting an institute for physical research. I, I got a restraining order filed against me. Okay. <sighs> Welcome. Sorry. You done? You I'm done there, Wendy? <coughs> it's the smoke. Yeah, it's the smoke. It's no fun.